I'm Eileen Dunn and this is The God Slot. In his first presidential address to the General Synod of the Church of Ireland since becoming Archbishop of Armagh, Archbishop Richard Clarke said that in inner cities and extreme rural areas, the parish system was creaking and he challenged the Church to explore different forms of ministry. The number of Roman Catholic priests in Africa and Asia has shot up over the past decade, while decreasing in Europe, mirroring trends in the numbers of Catholic faithful that helped lead to the election of Pope Francis as the first non-European pope in over a millennium. Worldwide, priest numbers were up 2.1%. A court in Saudi Arabia, where it's illegal for Muslims to abandon their faith, sentenced two men to lashes and prison terms for converting a woman to Christianity and helping her flee the Islamic regime. And a 22-year-old woman in El Salvador, four months pregnant, is waiting for the Supreme Court there to decide if she can have an abortion. Her doctors say that the disease she suffers from, lupus, has damaged her kidneys and she runs the risk of dying if the pregnancy continues. They also say that the fetus is missing a large part of its brain and wouldn't survive long after birth. El Salvador doesn't allow abortion in any circumstances, which leads to our first item this week. The Sisters of Life is a religious community of women founded in New York in 1991 by Cardinal John O'Connor for the protection and enhancement of the sacredness of every human life. An important part of their ministry is to care for women and men who've been affected by abortion. And we're joined now from New York by Sister Marie Agnes Day. Sister, you're welcome to the Godslot. Tell us a bit about your order, first of all. Certainly. We're a contemplative, active community, and all of our prayers and our works um, seek to uphold God's vision for life and love. And we do that in many ways. We are able to evangelize the culture, to give talks and offer many retreats um, to people to um, help them to discover who they are, their identity in Christ. We also are able to serve many women who come to us who are pregnant and in difficult circumstances in that pregnancy um, and help them to find the practical, emotional, and spiritual supports that they need during that time. We also have women who come and live with us um, during the time of pregnancy to find a a safe place uh, to to move through that time and um, also find support after that. We also have the special privilege of walking with men and women, women primarily, who are suffering um, the effects of abortion in their lives. Now, this week here in Ireland, we heard from a group called Women Heart, which is a support group. It doesn't recommend specific recovery programs, but you do have a specific program. Tell us a little bit about your work. We call it our Hope and Healing Mission. And about 20 years ago, there really was little in the way of resources um, for men and women um, suffering after abortion. So we began one. And really, we responded to the encouragement of our founder, Cardinal O'Connor, who told us, as Christ told his disciples, to go out and pick up the pieces lest they be lost. And so, in a way, we sought out to do this, also supported by the words of John Paul II, who told us that in the event of abortion, it really is the woman who pays the highest price, and that it's not right to leave her alone, that we need to stand in radical solidarity with her. Um, And so we seek to do that through a confidential mission 
an outreach of um, retreats, days of prayer and healing, conversation and accompaniment that really seek to meet her where she is at and to build a network of support and resources that can meaningfully support her through what can be a very difficult journey of healing. We basically seek to give her the one thing that we have, the one thing that can carry her through this experience and help her to find peace and healing after, which is Christ. We uh, just open our ears to listen and our hearts to walk with her with reverence and compassion and a spirit of solidarity. We're blessed just to be her sisters in Christ. And how do you find that abortion affects these women? The effects are far-reaching, and they vary for each woman. Um, It's a unique story that she has, a a unique set of experiences. What women all share and what all have in common after the experience of abortion is a deep sense of loss and a sense that they have been changed and that this change has been on every level and in every level of their lives. We serve women of every age, class, ethnicity, belief. We serve them right after their abortions. They may come to us several months after their abortions or 10, 20, 30 years after their abortion. Um, She may be 78 and coming to us because she needs to reconcile the experience um, before she goes home to God. We see women who struggle with depression, anxiety, women who engage a number of unhealthy coping mechanisms um, to keep the experience at a distance, to, to help her to stay in a state of denial after what has really impacted her deeply. We were blessed, actually, to work with a very beautiful woman who came to us, if I can share a story. She had two sons. She was married, and she became pregnant a third time. And she had um, struggled greatly with postpartum depression after her second pregnancy. And when her husband heard that she was pregnant again, he put a lot of pressure on her to abort the child because he just didn't feel that this would be good for her, for him, or for the family. She eventually gave way to these pressures, even though in her heart she didn't feel that this was really what she wanted. Shortly after her abortion, she fell steadily deeper into a depression. She sought out counseling and therapists who quickly you know, brought her in, tried different treatments, different approaches to help her depression to lift but um, none of them helped. When she brought forward that she thought that this might be connected to her past abortion, that a lot of these feelings of depression um, she felt were connected and linked to her abortion experience. Um, They did not appreciate this. They didn't um, consider that abortion could possibly be contributing to this. So eventually she came to a point um, where she was at the end of her rope and she said and she felt the only thing left to do was to commit suicide. So as she went about planning this, um, she didn't want to leave a burden on her family. So she went about going through her things. As she was going through one of the last boxes, she found um, an article and it said, Sisters of Life offer support for those suffering after abortion. So she called the number at the bottom talked to the sister, and in in large part that day changed her life. She ended up coming on a day of prayer and healing on the retreats. And what she found there really was an environment where she could find the space and validation that the grief and the pain and the shame and the guilt weren't something unique to her, but in fact was something that other women um, shared. She also encountered Christ's mercy in the sacrament of confession and was able to um, be relieved of the shame and guilt that came after her abortion. You know, we see a Lord 
and a God who is so eager to forgive us, who loves us. Um, We see him in the story of the prodigal son, a father waiting with open arms to receive his son back. Um, We see the beautiful story of the adulterous woman, um, townspeople who drag her out, um, condemn her, um, say that she should be stoned. And when they ask Jesus, what should we do? He tells them, let the one without sin be the one to cast the first stone. Now, do you rely um, strictly on prayer or do you use the services of professional counsellors and psychologists and psychotherapists? Because the effects of abortion are so broad, um, we find that it, it requires a, a broad use of resources and supports. So very frequently we'll find that professional counselling um, and therapy can be very helpful to a woman. So we just seek to to meet those needs um, creatively and whatever she may find meaningful. Now, you talk there about mercy and you've mentioned that before. In this country, we're, we're dealing with our legislation at the moment and there has been a hint, nay, a threat of possible excommunication for legislators who vote for abortion. How do you feel about that? And are you judgmental of the women or the men who come to you? Um, There are many dynamics and components involved with abortion um, in which culpability falls in very different ways. And that, I think, is best evaluated on a case-by-case basis. Um, What we know is that when a woman or a man comes forward, um, it's a great act of courage when they seek healing, when they're seeking reaching out, and that it's important that we support that grace. That's a grace from God. And we see that as a woman or a man finds the courage to look at their abortion experience and to bring it to the Lord, um, the whole of it can be reconciled um, and they can find that peace and that healing that they're looking for. We serve many women each year who come to us um, in difficult pregnancies, often contemplating abortion. And what we find is that abortion is often a decision made out of fear out of pressures, whether they're coming from the father of the baby or from those close to her, from a sense of despair, that there's no other choice for her. And when we ask her, what if the circumstances were different? What would your heart tell you? What does your heart want? And the answer always comes to us the same. I want to give life. I want um, to nurture and to provide for this life. So I would tell any woman not to lose hope. Um, to call us, to email us, that we want to help her find a way to make it work. Now, you said there that abortion never serves a woman. So do you believe that it's always wrong and never even medically necessary? I think when you take difficult cases um, in medicine or otherwise, you need to take them on a case-by-case basis and consider the circumstance um, more entirely. Um, So I don't think I can speak directly to that. Sister Maria Agnes Day, thank you for taking time out to talk to us on The Gonslot. The Global Charter for Human Conscience was launched in Dublin last week with the aim of tackling the challenges of a diverse society. The Charter builds upon Article 18 of the Declaration of Human Rights, which states that everyone has the right to freedom of thought, 
conscience and religion. This is particularly topical at the moment, so our reporter Rona Tarrant went along and spoke to Thomas Schermacher, Director of the Institute of Religious Freedom, and to Oz Guinness, author, social critic and the great-great-grandson of Arthur Guinness. She began by asking Oz exactly what freedom of conscience means. It is the right to reach, hold, exercise, change and persuade other people of your beliefs. You take the three basic rights, freedom of conscience, freedom of speech and freedom of assembly or association. They're interlocking, there's no hierarchy. But freedom of assembly assumes freedom of speech. You don't get together to sort of tickle or hug people, you want to get together to say things that matter to you. And freedom of speech assumes freedom of conscience. You don't want to talk about the weather, you're free to, but you want to talk about things that really matter to you because they're based on the dictates of conscience. And so the dictates of conscience is the primary human right. In uh, Germany, one-third is Catholic, one-third is Protestant, and one-third secular. And so in '49 already it was a compromise uh, between a country to be secular and religious at the same time. And the rules we made at that time, which functioned for 50, 60 years, um, tried out to balance that both sides really have freedom in the public, that religion is something very public but does not govern the, the, the country, and on the other side the secular people have the same access to politics and, and to the public but cannot interfere in, in the religions, in the churches. Mm-hmm. And that has, I, I, that has gone quite well for some decades now we have major changes, of course. Uh, Islam is a new large religion in the country which doesn't fit all those compromises. Yeah, um, But I'm deeply convinced uh, that our goal should not be who, who wins yeah, and who, who has the larger influence to force the others to think like one does, but always to think, even if we have to take decision on one or the other side, what does it mean for the other side and how can they nevertheless uh, get the utmost freedom in the situation? In Germany we had this, in Bavaria, this this big discussion, uh, crosses in the school. And the option was all crosses leave, no cross leaves. Finally the government decided that crosses will stay, but whenever a parent calls upon to put the cross away as long as his student is in the room. They get the right to do that. The end result is the whole discussion faded away. Everybody knows if parents really don't like it, they can go to the, to the, to the dean and he will take it off. And if it's even for one hour, the child is in there. That's up to the school. But interestingly enough, the whole discussion was dead. Well, to the degree that our societies are diverse and pluralistic, all the voices should have a say in public life. I mean, in the continent of Europe, Jürgen Habermas, who's an atheist, he's now arguing that unless religious voices are allowed in the public square, our societies are illiberal. They're against freedom. Whereas many people would like to swing from the old church-state situations in Europe to a new secular society that just excludes all religion. I would say there are two extremes. The sacred public square, where religion is monopoly, and the naked public square, where secularism is monopoly. And both of those don't do justice to diversity and liberty. Well, I, I would say in, in a country like Ireland, 
um, where you have changing majority, so to speak. I'm not talking about the parliament, but in the population, yeah, um, on certain issues, things are changing. So, when you make when you make laws um, uh, giving freedom for abortion or certain forms of abortion for certain situations, you always immediately should think about how to deal with those who are not in agreement. And if, for example, you on the other side, uh, you would give, say, uh, Catholic hospitals certain freedoms not to do something, the same question would again be, what does it mean to the people in the country if the Catholic hospital is the only hospital there? And by the situation, those people again are, are forced to do something which is not according to their uh, conscience. Well, the Charter of Conscience comes in on that because people will disagree profoundly. So, for example, in America last year, that the Obama administration demanded that Catholic hospitals give abortion facilities to patients who wanted it. That was a contradiction of freedom of conscience. And you could get the same thing here. Put it differently. All over the Western world, the climax of the secular revolution is going at the moment the way of the homosexuals. Well, some of them want a kind of zero-sum game. So they want to win and drive everyone out and not respect their freedom of conscience. That's very dangerous. So freedom of conscience comes in here. There are people who disagree with abortion, who disagree with same-sex marriage. And they should not be penalized. They should have the right of freedom of conscience. A doctor um, who believes in life and not abortion should be allowed not to have to go and do that. I always would go a step back um, and ask the question what means means it for all together. In Britain, for example, for me the problem is that a lot of religious symbols are allowed, but the Christian symbol was not allowed. And that of course is an awkward situation, no matter who is who's the loser in this. Yeah? So I would sit down and think, um, would it make sense to say, okay, we forbid the cross or we forget forbid all religious symbols. I would say that would be a nasty situation. A lot of people in the country really would not feel welcome. But if you want them to feel welcome, then of course you also need the majority religion to feel welcome in the country. Mm -hmm. yeah? um, um, and, but I think we often have to look more for the compromise, not because the compromise is the truth, but often the compromise permits the largest measure of truth for the largest number of people. The underlying issue is how do we live with deep differences? Because you can see with the media, with travel, migration, it's now said everyone is now everywhere. And so we have a clash about what sort of societies, what communities, what nations do we want to be? And we've got to know how to settle those differences. And so to do that, we need to debate freely and we need to debate peacefully without going for guns and blasting people out of the water. So I was just saying that if there's to be global governance without a single world government, in other words, we don't want a government that just through its authority imposes on the world, well, you keep freedom alive through freedom of conscience and in a really robust, active debate. Oz Guinness, and you also heard the voice of Thomas Schermacher in Rona Tarrant's report on the Global Charter for Human Conscience. 
Change Your Consciousness, Change Your Life is the title of a seminar to be presented by Eckencar Ireland at the O'Callaghan Montclair Hotel in Dublin this Sunday. And to find out more, we're joined now in studio by spokesman for Eckencar, Ed Parkinson. What is Eckencar, Ed? Eckencar is really a spiritual path. I suppose the two key aspects of Eckencar is the sound and light of God. There's two kind of aspects uh, in the Bible where, where the sound is mentioned. The first is in Genesis, where in the beginning was the Word and the Word was God. And then when at, at Pentecost, when um, the apostles were around uh, the table and then there was the rushing sound and, and, and then the lights above their heads and that. That, that is part of our spirituality and it, and it is there. It's a valuable part of it, you know. So Ekankar means co-worker with God, I gather. Do you call it an organisation? Do you call it a religion? What do you call it? I suppose officially we are a religion. Uh, I prefer the word spiritual path because it's very much uh, an, an individual path. It's been around since 65 in the public, but it has been around since the year that, really. So what could people expect from this seminar on Sunday? We're really talking about a lot of different spiritual things like we'll be talking about dreams we'll be talking about past lives we'll have music like it's not it's not just all uh, highbrow stuff we have a bit of fun as well we we talk in a you know a very down to earth uh, language so it's not um, it should be a bit of fun now you talk about god but how do you define god i suppose right the simple answer uh, as to what is god would be love right really god is love the way we approach it in Ankar is right. There are kind of two two steps. First, we need to realize who and what we are ourselves. Th- then we realize that we're actually a part or a spark of God. So then you go on a quest then to discover what God is. One of the things I see on your program for Sunday is spiritual exercises workshop. What mm-hmm. would that consist of? Well, if you like, I could give your listeners a simple exercise here and now. Please do. All yeah. right. If you want to get there, right, if you can take take time to be by yourself in a quiet place and then if you can think of something that warms your heart, like it could be, you know, somebody who gives you a hug, maybe it's even a pet, maybe it's a, a child who you love or maybe, you know, whatever. Maybe it's a place that, that you have been and, and, and it's lovely. If you can think about that and put that in your mind, so just so that it warms your heart. So now, with your eyes closed, then take a few deep breaths, um, and then on your outgoing breath, sing you. So sing it like you, just like that. So sing that maybe five, six times. Take a rest, uh, and and then sing it again. Now you have your eyes closed. You may you may notice uh, kind of lights. Uh, and maybe glows or sparkles or flashes. It, it varies from person to person. But also, if you can listen to the sounds um, around you, you know, you might hear sort of uh, a fridge or air conditioning. You might hear traffic in the background. There might be wind and weather. Okay, so tick them all these off. There's another sound then deep within that. And if you can, if you can find and listen to that sound, then you're kind of, you're now beginning to get close to the sound of God, really, to the sound of life. What's happening is you're now kind of moving to your soul level, to a higher level, and you're getting a different view of this scene. And then go with it and see see where it leads you. You may get insights into, you know, whatever that situation is. Ed, where can people get details of the seminar? 
the Irish website is eckencar-ireland.org. I'll spell Eckencar for you if you like. It's E-C-K-A-N-K-A-R and then hyphen Ireland.org or eckencar.org will get you to the main site. Ed Parkinson, thank you very much. And that's our programme for this week. Tomorrow evening at Knock Shrine in County Mayo, beginning at nine, there'll be a vigil of prayer culminating in Midnight Mass organised by the Irish School of Evangelisation. The vigil intentions are for the success of the Year of Faith and a daily new Pentecost for Ireland. You can get more information by phoning 012827658 or by emailing isoe at isatclear. Our final programme of the season will be on Friday, May the 31st, when we'll have a panel of bishops, two Roman Catholic and two Anglican, one of whom is a woman. And if you have a question that you'd like us to put to the bishops, phone us at 01-208-2039, email thegodslot at rte.ie or write to us at the Godslot RTE Radio 1. Dublin 4. Do leave your name and contact details so we can verify that your question is genuine but we won't read out that information if you don't want us to. We'll be back next Friday at the same time. Gudjishin Slán Ispanacht.